Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode for the Gemma Podcast. I'm your host, Chance Spencer, a Gemma intern. The Gemma program, which stands for Gemini in the Era of Multi-Messenger Astronomy, is funded by a multi-million dollar award from the National Science Foundation in order to advance the leadership role of Gemini Observatory in the Era of Multi-Messenger Astronomy, and has been designed to maximize synergies with the transformative facilities that are coming online in the near future, such as the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, or LSST, or ones that are already active, like LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. The projects within Gemma specifically focus on the areas of high spatial resolution, time domain astronomy, and outreach. The next three episodes are centered around the recent interstellar visitor 2i Borisov, or Comet 2019 Q4, which is the comet that the astronomy community has been monitoring since it was discovered by our amateur Russian astronomer on August 30th. In this episode, we'll be talking to Thomas Seckel, a Gemini North Science Fellow who is monitoring the comet with an optical spectroscopic program. We discuss the timeline of how Gemini North responded to this target of opportunity, how the discovery of 2i Borisov has been compared to the discovery of Pluto, the fact that there is a deadly gas emitting from the comet and the interesting history that entails, and finally, whether he is optimistic about the future of comet discovery. And with that, let's get to the interview. So I'm here with Tom Seckel from Gemini Observatory. So just for our listeners, please introduce yourself. Give us a little life path summary on how you got here to Gemini and as well as what your field of research is. Okay, so my job here at Gemini, I'm a, I'm a science fellow. I've, I've been here for two months. So my, my job is uh, 50% research that I can do myself and then 50% science operations. So I help out with the running of the telescope. I came here from Queen's University, Belfast. That's where I did my undergraduate degree and my PhD in planetary science. And so my field of research is primarily looking at the surface compositions, the materials on the surfaces of uh, minor planets in the outer solar system, including trans-Neptunian objects and centaurs. All right. And so one object that currently entered our solar system is the recent comet that was discovered on August 30th by an amateur Russian astronomer. But although it was observed August 30th, it wasn't viewed by Gemini until the night of September 9th or the morning of the 10th. So from Gemini's perspective, could you just give a little timeline of how Gemini responded to this target of opportunity? Sure, yes. So, um, so like, like I say, it was uh, discovered by uh, an amateur Russian astronomer. But it's, it takes time to characterize their orbit in a way that we, can, we know for sure that it's interstellar. So originally it was known it was a comet. It was active. We could see that from the images. But it usually takes several observations of the orbit to make sure that it's interstellar. And then it was determined that it was interstellar. And so there were investigators from Poland who wanted to get observations of, of the comet in multiple, just multiple images in different, in different filters. And so they submitted a director's discretionary proposal to Gemini, and very quickly we were able to, because of the, the, the queue system we have here, we were able to slot their observations into the queue, and um, we were able to observe it very quickly, and so we got multiple wavelengths of uh, imaging of the comet. Okay, so it entered our queue for Gemini... Is there efforts to further this process, at least make it more productive in the future so that we could uh, lock onto these objects quicker? 
So the there's there's actually a lot of work going into this. Um, so this is where like time domain astronomy would come in. Would be the uh, observatories, uh, robotic observatories that scan the sky. So the the first interstellar object that was found was found by the PanStars uh, telescope on Haleakala. It was a that, that's a robotic telescope that scans the sky and uh, and so you can see. Uh, how different parts, certain parts of the sky, they change over time, and if, if you can see an object that's moving through the solar system. And so the more of these that are coming online now as, 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 this, as this field of astronomy expands, especially once LSST, uh, the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, comes online in South America in the coming years, that's going to really expand our ability to detect these objects. And um, with uh, more frequent visits to... Uh, the same part of the sky to, to track its motion, it makes it much, much faster to characterize its orbit and determine whether it's from our own solar system or if it comes from outside. Okay. So for the astronomy community, that is probably really beneficial that we're going to be seeing a lot more of these objects. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the amateur Russian astronomer, though, that discovered this, he said that... Uh, we're probably going to be entering an era where amateur astronomers won't be able to discover as many. This was his eighth comet that he discovered. As yeah, well. yeah, he's, 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 he's been pretty prolific recently in uh, discovering these comets, which, which is great. I mean, there's um, a, actually a lot, of, a lot of the work in following up these objects and, and discovering especially active comets, uh, a lot of that work is actually done by amateur astronomers. And, it, and it's, we need these capabilities with the large telescopes, but he is also right that it also it kind of hoovers up all the discoveries from, from the amateur community, which, which is a shame. Um, and so I think possibly in the future it would be, be good to, have, uh, to integrate people more into, into, the, into the, the process of discovering these amateurs and professionals. Yeah. Some have even compared this discovery kind of to uh, Pluto and the amateur astronomer Clyde Tombaugh, because mm-hmm. um, he also was an uh, amateur astronomer discovering it by comparing just slides and seeing just exactly. little yeah. tiny differences. And we, we, we don't do it really any differently now to mm-hmm. compared to back then. Like, you, you just take a, an image of the same part of the sky a few nights apart. I mean, this uh, to Ibarasov, the, the new interstellar comet, that's moving very, very quickly, so it's it's really obvious. Uh, TNOs, um, like slow-moving objects out in the outer solar system that, that move across the sky much more slowly, maybe you'd have to wait a few days or maybe like uh, up to up to a week or so that you can track it track the observations um and track track the object as it moves through the through the sky but uh it was really clear that this straight away like you you could take a take an image of the comet and then wait just a minute and then take another image and you could you would see it's easily that it's moved so it's moving very very quickly wow in um in mid-september i saw that it was 43 kilometers a second it was moving yeah yeah and it'll continue to pick up as it gets closer to the sun that's right yeah so it's it's over i think it's over double the the velocity of the fastest uh man-made object that's ever been launched from earth that's the new horizons probe that went to pluto so it's um yeah, it's, it's moving incredibly fast. But the, these these objects, they they are they're moving, so they're they're orbit they're orbiting the galactic center and then they fall into the solar system. So they already have a lot of velocity from from that, uh, a, a lot of relative velocity to this to compared to the solar system. So that's where they they get all this uh, this high speed from. Okay, 
Instead of performing spectroscopy in the infrared, you're monitoring the comet with an optical spectroscopic program? That's, that's correct, yeah. So uh, the, the main objective is to observe the cometary emission lines in the spectrum. So in, in, the, in the optical and in, into the near UV, you have these uh, the, the molecules in the dust and gas coma that comes off the comet. Those molecules will have emission lines, so they're emitting light, these molecules are emitting light at very specific wavelengths. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to observe those emission lines to find out what kind of material and what kind of molecules are coming off the comet so we can find out what it's made of. Because the, the, the first the, the first interstellar object that was discovered was inert. There was no tail. There was no. It, it was you could get a reflectance spectrum of it, but it, it was so faint that it was. It, we basically couldn't tell exactly what it was made of. We knew it was red, but really we we couldn't tell much more about it. So this is the first opportunity we have to really dig deep into what interstellar objects are, are made of. Yeah, so, because we can see that molecules almost directly. Uh, Doug Simons, the uh, director of the CHT, a few weeks ago had mentioned that some astronomers are starting to believe that Oumuamua, the first interstellar object, might actually be a comet. It just doesn't have outgassing, but it is it was accelerating out of the solar system, so it might have been losing material somehow. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So it was it, its orbit suddenly changed in a way that was unexpected, um, and it. It's possible, and it, we, we see this with comets in, in our own solar system, where they they have uh, an episode of outgassing, and it's like, and so that like if they have a, it's like a, a jet axe to push push the uh, the comet into uh, and changes its orbit. We didn't directly see any tail or any emission, but it's possible that the uh, this this sudden change in the uh, in the orbit that was observed could be caused by cometary activity. Okay, um, and so with the history of I guess, spectroscopy and comets. When Halley's Comet first passed by Earth uh, in 1910, in the early stages of spectroscopy, they discovered that it was releasing toxic gases. And so some people decided to capitalize on that and the fear of it and sold comet insurance policies and even <laughs> homeopathic medicines for the coming comet fever because mm -hmm. they feared that Earth would be passing through this uh, toxic trail of poisonous gas from the comet. So... It was also recently released that Borisov, the interstellar comet, is also emitting something. Could you tell us what that is and why we don't need to worry? So it's yeah, so uh, it was discovered that, um, from from observations that the comet is emitting cyanide. It's a it, which is a, it's a carbon carbon and a, a nitrogen uh, atom bonded together, and so this is really common for comets. It's a very it's a very normal sort of molecule to see in the spectrum of a comet. It's uh, in, comets in, inside our own solar system and, and uh, uh, including this, this one uh, from, from outside the solar system, it seems to be fairly normal. So there are lots and lots of comets in the solar system and so far there are no adverse effects that we see from, from, from this. It's, 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 not, it's not the same sort of thing that you would, you know, you see in like an Agatha Christie novel where there's like a little bottle of cyanide and someone gets poisoned. It's it's not the same thing at all. Um, these are just these are just molecules that come off the comet and they get broken down by solar radiation, um, and they're, they're they're no harm to to us or the Earth at all. It's uh, it's just a very, it's just a natural process. Okay, um, I've also been seeing that a lot of programs that run with observatories. They've begun to take off a filter for hyperbolic orbits. They've been 
deciding like maybe we should start paying attention to more of these. Mm -hmm. um, and so like this object, I think has a eccentricity of around three. It's it's a three point three something like that. Oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's it's a really really high. Yeah. So with that in mind, as they're going to start uh, noticing more and more of these, are you particularly optimistic about the future of comet discovery and astronomy in that field? Well, absolutely, yeah. The, so especially with it, this is, um, again, going back to the time domain astronomy part of this, it's uh, as, as more observations are made in the in time domain, there, there are going to be more of these objects discovered. We're, we're predicting that with LSST especially, there'll be uh, one or two of these discovered every year, something like that. It's, uh, so the, from, from calculations that have been done, it's predicted that there are many tens of thousands of these objects in the solar system at any one time but they're, they're often they have to come pretty close to because they're, they're very small they have to come pretty close to earth uh, to be observable so um, it's obvious that this that the reason that this one was discovered is because it's active it's very bright the first interstellar object was very very faint but it was traveling very quickly and moved very close to the earth so it was it was easy to pick up so as as the time domain aspect of astronomy is expanded, then we'll be able to discover more of these and be able to characterize them. We, we don't know. I mean, we, we, with two, with two, only two objects, we, we don't have any statistics yet. It's hard to, hard to know um, the general population of these objects are like, if they're all very different, if they're all going to be the same. Do they come from the same rough region of, of the galaxy? Um, it's, it's hard to know uh, so far, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about what comes next, uh, what, what we'll find out about these, uh, these objects. All right. Well, I'm, I'm pretty excited, too, and thank you for joining me for this interview. Well, thanks very much for having me. Don't forget to tune into parts two and three in the near future. In part two, we discuss with one of the astronomers from Poland, mentioned in this episode, who was part of the team that had Gemini North capture an image of the comet the morning of September 10th. His team just released a new paper in Nature describing their findings and updating some of their initial estimates, such as the radius of the comet. In part three, we talked to an astronomer from the University of Hawaii at Manoa to talk about her infrared spectroscopic program she has set on the comet, as well as her involvement with the initial discovery of Oumuamua with the PanSTARRS-1 telescope located on Haleakala, Maui, back in 2017.